Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today, and it is time to get started. Why don't you stand to your feet as we sing together and begin our time of worship. Raise your voices to our risen Savior. Let's sing this morning. Thank you. 
you glad that no matter how crazy uh, our world gets, our God never changes. Amen? Amen? He is still on the throne. He is still in control. We can praise him uh, for that. Thank you so much for being with us today uh, in worship. We're glad that you're here and uh, to worship with us. You online that are with us, thank you for joining us and choosing to worship with us today. We're trusting that God's going to do some great things uh, in this service. We know our pastor has studied and has a message that will challenge us today, so we're excited about that. A couple of announcements. Well, first of all, let me welcome all of our guests that are with us. And if you're here uh, as, a, as a guest, we ask you to take one of the care cards that's located in the pew rack there in front of you and fill out your information. There's a place for you to, to ask for information about our church. And if you want some of that, please check those blanks. And then on the back of the care card is a place for everyone to fill out a prayer request. If you're dealing with something, you'd like the pastors to get that and pray over that, we do get those. And so take a moment, that's for everyone, fill those in. And as you leave today, there are two uh, wooden boxes on the round tables as you leave. Please place those there, and our folks will get those and make sure they're directed to the right people. But again, thank you uh, for being with us today in worship. A couple of things to remind you of tonight. We do have uh, VBS training at 5 o'clock. If you're helping with that, uh, we'll be meeting in the core gym at 5. And also, we want to ask parents and grandparents to get your children registered uh, at pbcweb.org. Uh, Vacation Bible School is July 25th through the 28th, 6.30 to 8.30 each night. And we have classes from, from children on up through adults this year. And so we want to uh, encourage you to be a part of that. There's also snack suppers provided those nights for $16 per person. You can go online, sign up for those, or go by the information desk uh, even this morning as you go out to sign up for those. Uh, there will be a kickoff rally and churchwide fellowship on Sunday, July 24th. That's the Sunday right before we begin at 5 p.m. Uh, you'll be getting some more details. But I know part of it's going to be uh, ice cream. So just make a note of that. And something about slime, which I'm not real happy about. But anyway, you'll find out more about that. And if we get uh, a certain amount of people to come, you'll find out this number. It includes... Pastor Scott and the word slime. So anyway, and the, we'll, we want to emphasize that too. But anyway, we'll talk more about that. Uh, there is a ladies event coming up this Thursday night. You can do it. It's called. Uh, it is at 630 in the core. And there's several different uh, type classes that you can sign up for. Things to do with photography and cooking and self-defense and just a host of things. But you got to sign up today. Uh, the tickets are $5. Go by the information desk. There'll be some ladies back there to help you 
and to make sure that you can sign up for this Thursday, uh, please do that. And then deacon nomination forms are available uh, in your community group. They have those, but also at the info desk. We want you to go by and pray about those. And if you want to nominate one, you can. I think it's up to 11. There's some spaces there. You can go by. Those have to be turned in also by July 24th. So if you'll please do that and take care of that. Folks, we have a very special guest with us this morning, uh, Logan Dagley. I should say Dr. Logan Dagley now. That's the official turnaround, if he likes being called that or not. Anyway, I just see him as Logan because Logan was one of our youth that came through our youth group here at Pitts Baptist a long time ago. And uh, so he is here from uh, on vacation with his family from New York City. We've gone and partnered with him in missions there in Brooklyn. He's a church planner and pastor there at Park Slope Community Church and just uh, doing some great things there in New York City. He's with us this morning. And so we've asked him to come and lead us uh, and open us up this morning in prayer. So Logan, you come and lead us, sir. Good morning. Before I pray, I just want to say a quick word of thanks. Thank you for all of your generous support of our ministry and mission in New York City. Uh, many of you I've met, uh, many of you I hope to meet, but I want to say thank you to the generosity of Pitts Baptist Church. This is a special place for me. This is where I came to know Christ. Right there is where I was baptized, so just grateful to be back with all of you. So thank you, and let's, let's pray together. Father, this morning we're grateful to be with your people in worship. God, we pray that you would tune our hearts to sing your praise this morning. God, realign our, uh, our thoughts and our loves and our desires from all the craziness and all the anxieties of the week. God, this morning may we be in tune to you and what you would have to say to us. And God, I pray that we would respond to your goodness and your greatness and your love and, the, and what we've seen in Christ, that we would respond with worship this morning because of all that you have done for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. As you remain standing as we continue to sing the greatness of God. Oh, no. 
God's people said, Amen. Amen. Don't be fooled. It must be Pastor Seeger behind all of these VBS things like being slimed. The reason I say that, I remember all the way back to when Logan Dagley was one of the core leaders in the youth group, and uh, that's when we had the double wide trailer. If you were teaching in there, you had to dodge the center columns, you know, teach on this side a while and then go over to this side. But uh, somehow or another, Logan, I don't know what Kevin got him into, but Logan must have been the brunt of one of these VBS things because Logan had really long hair. And uh, that night at the close of VBS, for some reason, I wish I remember why, uh, Kevin had the opportunity to take... Uh, an electric razor and just buzz his head. Uh, give him c- kind of a Kevin Knight haircut. So uh, <clears throat> anyway, it must be uh, Kevin Seeger uh, behind all of this. And uh, Kevin Knight said we could slime him too if we would make the slime gravy and he could lick it up with biscuits and, and so forth. But anyway... <laughs> Take your Bibles this morning before we observe the Lord's Supper, and we're going to continue our journey in the Gospel of Mark, looking at the fact this morning Jesus uh, calls his disciples and responds to opposition. Jesus calls his disciples and responds to opposition. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word, please? Mark chapter 3 And beginning in verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed. From Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him and he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee and John the brother of James to whom he gave the name uh, Bornages, that is, sons of thunder, or son of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. 
Then he went home and the crowd gathered around so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he's out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of the demons, he cast out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against, him, against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, but whatever blasphemies they utter... But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. <clears throat> For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Lord, this is your word. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts through it. All I can do is speak to ears. But Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts hearts and move us to worship you and to follow you for it's in Christ's name that we pray amen Dr. Danny Aiken is the president of Southeastern Seminary and I want you to listen to how Daniel Aiken describes this particular passage he says the great football coach of the Green Bay Packers was Vince Lombardi and he led the Packers to victories in the first two Super Bowls. Lombardi was a great coach, but also a great man of wit and insight. He had many sayings that his players knew about. For example, confidence is contagious, and so is a lack of confidence. Football is like life. It requires perseverance, self-denial, hard work, sacrifice, dedication, and respect for authority. If you accept losing, you cannot win. It's not whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get back up. Once you learn to quit, it becomes a habit. The good Lord gave you ability that can stand most anything. It's your mind that you have to convince. It's essential to understand that battles are primarily won in the hearts of men. Men respond to leadership in a most remarkable way. And once you have won their heart, they will follow you anywhere. 
People who work together will win. And fatigue makes cowards of us all. Folks, leadership and team work and fatigue, all of those subject matters run throughout this section of Mark's gospel. And you know, that points out something to us. Even the best of us don't always handle the pressures of leadership very well. But you know, Jesus always did. And we're going to see today how Jesus was constantly confronted with various challenges. But he always likewise had the answer to each one of those challenges. He is indeed the way, the truth and the life. Now let me set the table, the context of this passage for you a moment. True to Mark's character, he's always showing Jesus busy about meeting people's needs. Jesus is responding here to the crowds and he's responding to demons. Mark continues to show us that Jesus was a very winsome character with the multitudes. You know, the gospel is in and of itself an offense to many people. We don't have to add to the offense of being cantankerous or unpleasant in our spirits. Jesus was not. He was very winsome to the uh, multitudes. And Mark points out how crowds from all the various regions of Israel were following Jesus. Now they always didn't follow Jesus for the right reasons. They followed Jesus oftentimes only for what he could do for them. And we see in the Gospels that is not a legitimate basis for following Christ. You know, even today, some people will identify with Jesus for what they think they can get out of Him. Some people will even give to the Lord's causes, thinking about what they can receive in return. It makes me think of what one guy said. He got a call from one of these ministries that says, you know, sow a seed, sow a financial gift in my ministry and the Lord is going to bless you tenfold. But this guy told the, the caller, he said, I tell you what, whatever amount you want me to give to you, you give it to me instead and trust God that he's going to bless you tenfold. Click, the guy hung up. People don't always follow Christ out of the best of motives. We see that continue right up to the time of the crucifixion. At the beginning of the week of the crucifixion on Palm Sunday, there were many in the crowd saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And some of these, by the end of the week, were a part of the crowd that was shouting, crucify him, crucify him, because Jesus had not operated the way they thought he was supposed to. Now when we think about Jesus being followed by such large crowds, what would he have done if he were only a celebrity? He would have tried to appease them. But oftentimes, as here, Jesus says, let's go away. Let's go somewhere else. Jesus wasn't going to stay around and scratch everyone's itch. 
We know from Luke's gospel that Jesus would actually throw up barriers to the crowds. He would turn to people and say things like, deny yourself, take up your cross. And you need to realize that the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And if you come and follow me, you may not have anywhere to lay your head either. And so he would show the challenges of discipleship. Next in this passage we see Jesus, as as I continue to set the table, we see Jesus responding to demons. The demons knew who Jesus was. And I want you to remember what I told you a couple of weeks ago about that. Revelation 12 tells us that when Lucifer rebelled, he drew a third of the angels out of heaven with him. And so the point is that the demons had once been angels in heaven and they had worshipped the Lord there so they certainly knew the identity of the Lord Jesus the surprising thing here is that Jesus commands them to be quiet you see folks Jesus is operating on a divine clock here he did everything out of a sense of timing and purpose and it was not his purpose to be known uh, for who he was quite yet that time would come But that time was not yet. And so oftentimes he would command demons to be quiet. He would even command people that he had done a miracle in their lives to be quiet and not tell everybody about who he was. And that shows us that God operates on a timetable. Everything God does is on a timetable. And you and I need to realize that. You may be praying about something and... God may not be telling you no. You've not heard an answer to your prayer yet. And you're thinking God is telling you no. But God may be saying not yet. You see folks things have to happen in God's time. As somebody has wisely said God is seldom early but never late. Well, the first thing I want you to see with me this morning as we get into the the body of the text here, I, I want you to see that Jesus calls his first disciples. What an astounding passage this is. This passage right here shows God's plan with people in the new covenant. Jesus knows that he's going to be crucified, he's going to be buried, and on the third day he's going to be raised to life again. He's going to ascend back to the Father. And so it was going to be up to his followers to preach the gospel around the globe. And if men were going to preach the gospel around the globe, they had to be discipled, they had to be trained up, and then they had to be sent out. And folks, I want you to understand that is still the mission of the church today. You remember what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2? He said, Timothy, the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you need to pass on to reliable men who likewise will be able to impact others. Folks, that's the discipleship process. 
And so I would ask you, where are you involved in the discipleship process? Are you growing up in the things of the Lord so in turn you can impact somebody else's life? You see, it's not only to be inflow into our lives, but there's also to be outflow. We're to be growing in the Lord. We're to be maturing in our faith. And we are to likewise be bearing fruit and impacting others. That's the discipleship process. And if this world is ever going to be one for Christ, it's going to be because men and women like you and me were disciples who in our own individual lives we impact other people. Because see, you run with people. You, you have circles of influence with people who will probably never walk into the doors uh, of a church as their first exposure to the gospel. And what that means is that you and I have got to be disciples and we've got to go to them Jesus is making disciples and in the great commission he tells you and me to do the same we see this all through the scripture God revealed to Moses Moses you cannot do this alone But I guess what's so amazing about what we read here concerning Jesus is that he didn't go to the government center of Rome. And he didn't go to the educational centers of Athens, Greece or Alexandria, Egypt. Jesus didn't even go to the leaders of Israel. As I've pointed out uh, now in Mark's gospel a couple of times, Jesus went to ordinary men. Folks, it seems as though God delights in taking ordinary people and doing extraordinary things in and through them. Aren't you glad God operates that way? Today, many church sanctuaries you go into, you'll see these disciples who became the apostles. You'll see them enshrined in stained glass windows. And and so you might be tempted to think that they were always stained glass saints. But this wouldn't be right. One of the things that stands out about all 12 of these men is that nothing really stands out about them. Now I'm not saying they were incompetent. After all, several of them probably ran fishing businesses. And Matthew, or Levi, was a tax collector before his conversion. And so he was probably very skilled in money uh, matters, matters. But again, they were average Joes. And I also want you to think about the responsibilities that they would end up with. It's like Paul said to Timothy, we are to guard the truth. We are to pass along what God teaches to us. We are stewards of the gospel. Folks, maybe you're thinking about the blessings of being a Christian today, but I also want you to think about the responsibilities involved in being a Christian. Just think about it. God has called us to serve Him. We've been entrusted with His work. And you know, when you think about the importance of that and the gravity of that, the weight of it, It ought to make us wobble at our knees if it were not for God's provision and God's empowerment. Folks, God's church and God's mission is not a matter to be taken lightly. 
or to be complacent about. The scripture even states that every believer will one day stand before the Lord and we will have to give an account of God's work. I think of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Jesus said about the lazy servant, take him and cast him into outer darkness. What's going to be revealed about you in that day? But again, it's ordinary people that God chooses to work with. And you know, Luke tells us something that Mark doesn't tell us. In Luke chapter 6, Luke tells us that all night long before Jesus chose these 12 men to be disciples who would be apostles, before he chose them, what did he do? Jesus prayed. All night long about who he was to select. And what's that tell us? That tells us that Jesus is setting an example for us regarding persistent prayer. That we are to persistently pray before every major decision in our lives. Jesus is only selecting these twelves after spending all night long in prayer. Think about that. Do you make big decisions in your life? You just jump right in? And you never go before God in prayer? What a shame. You know, that's why we get in some of the messes that we get into. And then we have to throw it in reverse and back up. And we have to say, God, forgive me. I launched out on the thinking you wanted me to do this. And you wanted me to do something differently. Folks, if Jesus persistently prayed about matters in his life, he's the very son of God. How much more do you and I need to pray about decisions in our lives? We need to follow Jesus' example here. We know that Jesus had a a plan purpose with each one of these disciples Simon Peter would just be one example Uh, Simon was going to be the rock he was going to be the leader of the apostles Judas Iscariot Jesus says I've chosen you and yet one of you is a devil do you not think Jesus knew that he knew that Church tradition tells us that after the disciples were scattered in the book of Acts, the disciples that we don't even typically hear about anymore, they went to different countries in the world and many of them died as martyrs for the faith. Uh, John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. But I want you to think about some of these men. Bartholomew apparently went to uh, uh, Armenia where he died for the gospel. Thomas went to India. Judas, not Iscariot, along with Simon the Zealot, went to Persia where they were killed. And tradition says that Peter preached in Rome and other places and ended up being crucified upside down. Christ had a purpose with each one of them. And again, they were all just ordinary men. God is not looking for celebrities. He's looking for obedience. He wants committed men who will be reliable. And you know, reliability is the big issue today. Oftentimes, people will serve unless they get a better offer. You know, I'll teach this week unless my brother invites me to the lake. I'll go visiting with you next week if and only 
on and on it goes. Reliability is a big issue today in the church. And I want to say to you, God is looking for reliable, ordinary men and women, but reliable men and women. Are you reliable? And are you growing and being a disciple? And are you trying to disciple others and make an impact on others? We're being called in the Bible in the New Testament to follow in the steps of Jesus. Again, this is what the Great Commission is all about. That you and I as disciples of Christ are to go into all the world and we're to make disciples. You've got a role in this as well as me, as well as your other church staff. Every believer has a role in this. And I want to ask you this morning, where is your life tied up with the Great Commission? Well, the second thing I want you to see here, Jesus responds to false charges beginning there in verse 22. The religious leaders were actually trying to say that Jesus was only able to cast out demons because he was Beelzebub, or as some manuscripts say, Beelzebul, the prince of the demons. That name goes all the way back to ancient Canaanite religion where Beelzebub was known as the Lord of the Flies or the Lord of the Dung, the excrement. The Lord of Filth, in other words. And some of the Pharisees were saying that's why Jesus was able to do what he's doing. He's doing what he's doing because of the power of, of the prince of, of the flies or dung. And Jesus points out what a stupid accusation this is. If he's Satan, then Satan is casting out Satan. Satan's destroying the work of Satan. And as Jesus points out, no kingdom could stand like that because it would be divided against itself. Are you ever accused of things? That aren't fair? Sure you are. Jesus even said in the Beatitudes, Blessed are you when you are falsely accused and you're persecuted because you're his followers. And Jesus said men will say all kinds of ugly things about us because we belong to him. And Jesus said you need to remember whatever they're saying of you, they said of me first. I mean, just look at this accusation. And more important to this discussion, Jesus points out what what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is. The sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a conclusion that Jesus operated by the power of the devil instead of by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to say to you that the the sin of this type of blasphemy isn't some kind of isolated bad thought that has ever entered into your mind. The sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the conclusion that somebody has come to, given much thought to it, as the Pharisees had, that Jesus was of the devil and he did what he did by the devil's power. And the reason I emphasize that is because people will let a word slip or they'll have some thought that enters their mind and they'll beat up on themselves and they'll say, Oh no, pastor, I think I've committed the the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. 
No, they haven't. Chances are. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a calculated conclusion about the person and work of Christ. Assigning Jesus to being of Satan in that Jesus is evil. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And if that's someone's conclusion, there's no forgiveness for that. Because forgiveness means that you realize Jesus is God's Son who died for your sin and you need Him as your Savior. And and blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is somebody coming to the very opposite conclusion. But notice also the promise Jesus points to here. He says all other sin, all other blasphemies can be forgiven. People sometimes say, oh I've done such and such. God could never forgive me. And they worry and they worry and they worry that God's written them off. But Jesus says here, all other sin can be forgiven. And maybe some of you here this morning need to let that sink in. Whatever you've done... Jesus can forgive you. Amen? I want you to think a minute about all the false accusations that the Lord Jesus had to endure. If there were anybody anywhere who did not deserve false accusations, it was him. I like what C.S. Lewis says about this in Mere Christianity. Some people today will say when asked about Jesus, they'll state, well, you know, I think that Jesus was a good man, a noble man, a good teacher, or maybe a prophet. If you say to them in response, but the Bible says he's the very son of the living God, he's the Messiah, they'll say, well, I just don't know about that. I think he might just be a good man. Lewis says that is not even a legitimate response. Jesus claimed to be the son of God. And so if he wasn't, if he was only a good man, then he was not good because he was a liar. He was calling himself something he wasn't. And if he's a liar, don't call him good. Or another option, as Lewis says, is that maybe he was delusional. Perhaps he was a lunatic for thinking he was more important than he was. He would be delusional, Lewis says, along the lines of a man thinking he's a poached egg. Lewis says because of the claims that Jesus made about himself, it's simply not an option to even say that Jesus was a good man if he's not who the Bible says he is. He was not good. He was a liar or a lunatic. As Lewis says, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he is the Lord. He's exactly who he claimed to be. But don't ever let anybody come to the conclusion that he was only a good man and nothing more for that option is not even available to us. Powerful words. I trust that you've come to the conclusion that Jesus is Lord. He's exactly who he said he was. Third thing here I want you to see, Jesus responds to his family. Jesus responds to his family. Let's remember that after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph had normal marital relations and they had other children. And so Jesus had half-brothers. James, for example, who ended up writing the little book of James in the New Testament, James was a half-brother to Jesus. How would you like to be the brother of Jesus who never did anything wrong? 
You know, I think of when the press got a hold of Billy Carter. Billy Carter was the redneck beer-drinking brother to then-president Jimmy Carter. And, and the press knew that with Billy Carter, uh, they, they had a quote a minute. You never knew what was going to come out of his mouth. On one occasion, Billy Carter said, My mother went into the Peace Corps when she was 68. One sister is a motorcycle freak. My other sister is a holy roller evangelist. And my brother is running for president of the United States. I'm the only sane one in the family <laughs> but again just imagine being the brother the sibling of Jesus you know the Bible says that until after the resurrection they didn't believe in him in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, Paul talks about how Jesus appeared uh, to even some of his siblings after the resurrection and they believed but again imagine being the Messiah and your own family didn't believe now obviously Mary and Joseph believed but the other siblings might have said things like mom you're always taking Jesus side <laughs> but we're told here that his family thinks he's kind of gone off the rocker and they go to get him they don't even go inside and then later on in the passage when Jesus is told they're waiting for him, he says, who's my mother? Who's my brother? Who's my sister? Anybody who does the will of God. Think about that, folks. Doing the will of God. You're in God's family. And what is the will of God? Well, First John tells us the will of God is to come to faith in Jesus. And when you come to faith in Jesus and you're born again, you become a part of God's family. And you can cry out, Abba, Father. And you become a joint heir with Christ. And that's not something that happens as a result of bloodline or nationality. A Christian becomes a part of God's forever family through faith in Christ. You're, and you're also not only in the will of God, but you're in His will. 1 Peter 1 talks about the inheritance that God has waiting for His children that will never fade. I've known of families get all upset over issues of the will. But you know what? In God's family, all of His children are in the will. But this means that being a part of God's family, your earthly family may not always understand you. In fact, Jesus even said, sometimes your worst enemies can be members of your own household. Jesus spoke of a day coming when fathers would turn against sons and sons against fathers. I've told you before, that was my own experience. When I told my parents God had called me to preach, my dad was outraged. My mom was tickled. My dad was outraged. No child of his was going to be a preacher. And it took him about three or four years uh, to come around. But sometimes families don't understand. I've heard about families before tickled to death. Their child was going into the ministry until they learned that child wanted to go into foreign missions. And all of a sudden they were against that because they wanted their child to stay close. What did Jesus say though? And what did he say on another occasion? He said, if you choose mother or father or sister or brother or husband or wife or even child ahead of me 
You cannot be my disciple. Folks, Jesus has got to be absolutely preeminent in our lives. No other allegiance stronger than our allegiance to Christ. Because you know what? If we have somebody or something else ahead of him, that something else, whatever it is, will end up capturing our main affections and our main energies. I think of the story one commentator wrote about a friend of his whose daughter went to an Arab country to be a Christian missionary. Her family went to see her, and when her family went to see her, she informed them that she had become a Muslim. And they cried and they begged her to renounce that and come back to Christ. And finally she said, folks, I have not become a Muslim. I'm more committed to Jesus than ever before. But there is a friend of mine here who I've led to Christ. And you're going to have the opportunity to meet her. She was a Muslim. And again, I led her to Christ. And because I led her to Christ... Her family and friends, everybody in her circles have turned completely away from her. And I simply want you to understand what that young lady has been through. Folks, we're to be like that when we come to Christ. There's to be no other relationship, even if they turn against us, no other relationship that matters more. You know, for the early Christians to become Christians, oftentimes they were shunned by their families and communities, and they lost everything. But Jesus assured Simon Peter and the other disciples that if this happened to them, uh, that among brothers and sisters in the Lord, they would have a bigger family than they ever had before because Christians are family. We are brothers and sisters together in Christ. I want you to take a minute just to look around. Look at the person to your right and to your left. Person to your right and to your left. They are your brother and sister in Christ. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're to look after one another. It must break the father's heart when he sees his children, brothers and sisters in Christ, turning against one another. We're brothers and sisters. I want to give you some closing thoughts. First of all, celebrities are interested in crowds liking them. But servants of God are only interested in pleasing God. Folks, don't be deceived by crowds or the absence of crowds. Don't play to the crowd. And don't assume you're doing something wrong if the crowd is not with you. Jesus was never enamored by the crowds. A second thing I want you to say, God operates with a definite plan on his own time schedule. And we can't doubt God's plan and we also can't force God's plan. And so trust that in God's timing, he's going to come to your aid. Thirdly, don't be thrown off guard by false accusations. If you're a committed follower of Jesus, you may be accused these days of all sorts of things that aren't one bit true. But you need to remember, Jesus had to face the very same thing. 
be encouraged. Fourthly, servants of God will always have opponents. And some of your opponents may be people who once were the very closest people to you. But we're always going to have opponents. In fact, Jesus said, beware if all men speak well of you. And then lastly, we need to understand that as Christians, we are members of a new family. We have brothers and sisters in the Lord, and we are to pray for one another, and we're to encourage one another. Am I speaking to somebody this morning that needs a family? You need a Christian family. Maybe you've never come to Christ, but God's been working on your heart over the past few weeks, months, maybe even years. Convicting you of your need of Christ. Come to Christ today. And you know what? When I turn around and introduce you, I'm going I'm to ask you to look around at this place because this is your family in Christ. These are the people who will love you and pray for you and encourage you. You have a family here. Am I speaking to a believer maybe who's discouraged because maybe some people have said at work or school, people have said mean things about you. Things that aren't true. And you know they're not true. They know they're not true. But they're saying things about you. You're in good company because people said false accusations about Jesus also. Whatever you're going through, be encouraged by that. Be encouraged that God is at work. If you're his child, he's at work in your life. You may not see every day everything that he's doing. But you'll see it one day. You'll see his timing. You'll see his plan. What you need to do today is be reliable, be obedient, and follow him. Follow him and be faithful to the end. I'm going to ask you to stand with me.